Okay. All right, guys, we are, we are in Lesson 6. We are in uh, Chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 9 through 20. And we're going to get to the final section now of Paul's discussion about how all of humanity is condemned. Remember I told you that he starts off his discussion concerning salvation talking about how all of humanity has been condemned. And he went through three groups, specific groups, uh, starting in chapter 1. He talked about how Gentiles are condemned. He talks about how the moralist is condemned. The moralist is condemned because he, he judges others but doesn't live up to the same standard himself. So therefore he is condemned by his own standards. Then he talks about the unfaithful Jew. Okay, Now he's going to get to the final group, which is everybody. Because you might be there and you say, well, you know, I'm okay because I'm not like those other three groups. I don't have their problems. So therefore, I'm okay. Well, the reality is, is you're not. Because in case somebody slips through the crack of his condemnation here, he wants to make sure that everybody understands that every one of us, every single human being, is condemned. Outside of Jesus, every single human being that has lived or is going to live is condemned. Okay? And so he's going to make that argument now with us to help us to see that. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to talk about, first of all, how all are condemned in verses 9 through 18. And then we're going to look at the issue of a consciousness of sin in verses uh, 19 through 20. So let's let's look together at the scripture here. We're in Romans, and we want to look at the issue of the fact that all are condemned. So notice with me verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all become unprofitable. There is none who, who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So let's let's take a look here. First thing he's going to do in verse 9 is he's going to start off with a question. Notice he's been anticipating questions from his readers concerning this whole issue about whether or not People are condemned, okay, and especially the Jews. So he's anticipating a question here. Paul anticipates the question that Jews are better than Gentiles. So the first thing he's going to anticipate here is that being Jewish puts you in a better situation than a Gentile. Now, just so you understand, at this time in church history, most of the churches were primarily Jewish believers. Do you understand what I'm saying? With a few Gentiles. Even though this is to the church in Rome, most are Hebrew Christians. 
This didn't change until after A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. And the church then becomes primarily Gentile, which it is to this day. So he's anticipating the question that the Jews are better than the Gentiles because of their position. So he responds that, Paul responds that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin and its condemnation. So his response to this is, no, no, that's not true, because I've already told you before that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin, and therefore because they're all under sin, they're all condemned. Okay? I've already made that point clear to you, Paul is saying. So nobody's in a better situation. In fact, I think if we could relate to that as somebody is saying, well, could it be just simply because I'm going to church, I'm in a better position than somebody who's not going to church? No, we're all condemned. See, this is the same concept that's going on here. I'm Jewish, so I'm okay. No, 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 no. Everybody is under sin. And everybody's facing condemnation. It doesn't matter what your background is or whatever, anything else. You're all under sin. Okay? So now, he's going to talk about, in verses 10 through 18, humanity's dilemma. Here's the dilemma that all humanity is facing. Okay? Here's the dilemma. Paul makes the point that both Jews and Gentiles are condemned from the Scriptures. The reason why we're condemned is because the Scriptures tell us we're condemned. So let me just stop for a moment. I know our culture likes to say that everybody's born with good. Okay? I know our culture likes to say that we're all inherently good and there's no such thing as evil, although even that gets challenged after a while. You know what I'm saying? The postmodern thinking is there's no evil. So then 9-11 happens. What do you do with that? You know? So we've got this concept that we're all good. But the problem is, is that it's not up to us to decide that we're all good. It's up to God to decide. He decides what state we're in because it's with, it's in, it's an issue of our relationship with Him. And we're not good because we're condemned because we're under sin. Okay? So both Jews and Gentiles are condemned from the scriptures. Paul is quoting in this section here, verses 9 through 18, when you look at these different things here, he's quoting from six Old Testament passages. Okay? He's quoting from six Old Testament passages to show us our state in humanity. So we're going to talk about nine different things about our dilemma. Nine different things from these verses that point out our dilemma. So let's look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So here's, what, here's the point. Without exception, all humanity is not righteous or has a right standing with God. When we talk about righteous, we're talking about having a right standing before God. All humanity does not have any righteousness of their own. So let me just stop for a moment. So you might be thinking here and saying, well, you know, I ain't that bad. I'm not like some of those dudes I see on TV. I'm not like ISIS. You know, I'm not like them. That's not the point. The point is that cause that's, our, that's our tendency is to compare ourselves, right? We need to quit comparing ourselves and just look at where we're at. And the reality is, is that 
Your sin, in comparison, might not be as bad as somebody else's in a human way. But as far as God's concerned, he's not comparing you. He's looking at you and he says, your sin's bad enough. Your sin is wrong. And therefore, you have no standing before me. In fact, isn't that what Isaiah says? We all know that verse, right, Isaiah? For our righteousness is but as what? Filthy rags? The reality is, is we have no standing. Before God, no standing. Without exception, nobody can say they're that good. Okay? Nobody can say they're that good. We're all unrighteous. The next thing he does is he points out in verse 11, look at what he says, there's no one who understands. No one in humanity can understand God or and his truth on their own. No one can understand God and his truth on their own. No, you say, wait a minute, George, wait a minute, hold on. Because when I got saved, I understood, because that's why I'm saved. When I got saved, George, I understood that he was God, and that he died for me, and I got saved. This, this can't be right. Yeah, that's right. Because the only reason you understood is because the Holy Spirit gave you understanding. Because the Spirit's the Scripture says... No one comes to the Father unless who draws them? The Spirit draws them. See, that's grace, isn't it? God showed grace to you by giving you understanding. By giving you understanding. You know, one of the things I like to listen to is NPR. I I like listening to NPR because you get... It's just interesting. It's not necessarily where I line up at, but it gives you a different perspective and you hear people you don't normally listen to there... And, I, and I've, over the years, I've heard several people get on there and say they've read through the Bible. They've read through the Bible. But when you hear their conclusion, it's not anything we believe. Why could they not see what it is? Because they can't see it. They can't understand it. They have no comprehension of God. Do you know what I mean? So you think about it at work and you hear people talk about God. Is that person, that God they're talking about, your God? Probably not. Do they have a weird, do some people have a weird concept of God, folks? Yeah. Why? Because people who are lost, all humanity cannot understand God on their own. They cannot understand His truth on their own. So let me just stop for a moment. Let me free you up. Are you ready to be freed up? Okay? So here you are. You're trying to share God's truth with people. What's the normal reaction? Shut you down? Do they understand what you're talking about? Do they think you're nuts? Yeah, they don't want to hear it. They think you're crazy. Hey, get it. Okay, and then here's what you do. Oh, I must not be a good enough Christian. I didn't share it good enough. Folks, they would do the same thing with Billy Graham. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what? Their understanding, and they have none unless the Spirit's drawing them. Do you understand? Now, you look puzzled there, Gene. Yes, Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that our gospel is not hidden, but that the God of this world, who's the God of this world, folks? Satan has what? Blinded their eyes. So the reason why they can't see and understand it is because their eyes are blinded by the enemy. So they don't necessarily have a heart, heart 
Well, we're going to see that. They do. They might have a heart. Yeah, I think they, we're going to see that they do have a hardened heart as well. But right now, he's trying to point out to us, no one's righteous, everybody's unrighteous, no one understands. Okay, here's the other point. No one's seeking. No one in humanity is making an effort to truly seek God. No one in humanity is making an effort to truly seek God. Do you find that to be true? You might occasionally find someone that does. You need to take note of that. Here's what I would like to... It's actually a concept that I got from Henry Blackaby. Years ago, Henry Blackaby wrote a series called Experiencing God. How many of you remember that series, okay? In it, Henry Blackaby used to tell his church that, that, number one, no one seeks after God. All humanity has no interest in God. But if you see somebody who does have an interest in God... It must be the work of the Spirit, because no one comes to the Father unless, what, the Spirit draw them. So they, he said, spend your time in evangelism, evangelism with those who are seeking to know, understand God. Why? Because obviously God's the one provoking them to what? To an understanding. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to get saved immediately, but you're part of the process. Do you understand? Because the reality is, is no one in humanity on their own is seeking God. Period. Okay? No one in humanity on their own is seeking God. They're not truly making an effort to truly seek God. Here's the next thing he points out. They've turned away. Everyone in humanity has turned aside to follow their own desires. Look at verse 12 there. They have all turned aside. This is the thing. This is where we're at even in our culture today. You know, the fact of the matter is, is everybody, especially in North America today, is turned away to getting what they want and enjoying what they want and having what they want. It's all about you fulfilling your own desires. That's just, that's just indicative of all humanity, period. It's indicative of people who are condemned, who are not seeking after God. Because here's the thing, if you're not seeking after God and His truth, what are you seeking after? Yeah, your own lust, your own desires of your own body. What you want out of life. Okay? So they've turned aside. Everyone in humanity has turned aside to follow their own desires. He says we've become unprofitable. Look at verse 12. They have together become unprofitable. What in the world does that mean, George? Well, here's what it means. Humanity as a whole has become unprofitable or worthless. You've become, you've become worthless. I don't know if I agree with that one, George. Well, think about it for a moment, folks. If your total focus in life is you, if your whole focus in life is getting what you want, fulfilling your desires, satisfying you, how much are you worth to other people? No. In fact, you know that. You know that. When you rub shoulders with people and you know that they're only in it for themselves, how likely are you to be near them or try to get to know them or, or, or to help them out? Because you realize they don't care about you. They're totally focused on themselves. So therefore, they're basically what? Worthless. Right? Okay? Worthless. 
The Bible uses a more kind word. <laughs> Unprofitable, right? Okay? But that's really what it means is worthless, okay? Alright? So then, let's go on here now. Um, they're not doing good. Verse 12. There is none who does good, no, not one. Because they are corrupted by sin, humanity is, in, is incapable of doing good. Wait a minute now, George. Up to this point, you had me. Up to this point, I agreed with you. Yep, I can see what you're saying, George, up to this point. But as far as this point, I don't know that I agree with you because I know all kinds of people who are lost, who are doing good things, George. Who are doing good things. There's no way that this is true. Folks, I'm, it's not what I say, it's what God says. Because he's got a different standard. What do you mean, George? Well, we know from Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are wicked. Who can understand them? That they lie to us. Really, what Jeremiah is talking about there is our motives. You realize that you're doing good may not actually be good because your motive for doing it is wrong? You ever met somebody like that? The reason why they do it, it looks like they're doing good, but the reason why they're doing it is not right. They're doing it for who? For themselves. Did you understand? The whole point that, 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 that Paul is making here when he quotes this scripture about there's no one who does good, he wants us to understand that even the good things in our life are corrupted by our what? Sin. By our evil. Okay? They're corrupted by our evil. You know, we just had a disaster in Nepal. Everybody seeing how terrible that disaster is? Okay. And so all the aid agencies are coming and, and they're all going in there trying to help and everything and people are giving money. Well, always now, it's happened for the last 10 years now, a big question rises up. Well, how much of our money are they actually getting? Have you seen those reports? And so some of the organizations that we thought were premier and doing good, you find out that very little of what you give goes to, to helping people, and most of it goes to keeping people having good salaries. But it seems like they're doing good. Did you understand what I'm saying? God just cuts right through the heart of everything and says, no one does good. No one does good. No one at all. So he goes on. He says in verses 13 to 14, he's going to talk about their mouths, their wicked speech. Look, at, Let's read it together. Their throat is an open tomb. Well, what in the world does that mean, George? Well, their throat, what comes out of their mouth, when, they, when you consider what comes out of their mouth, it is death. It's not words of life, it's death. Their tongues have practiced deceit. What does that mean? They're liars. I want, you know, that's the sin that's accepted in our culture today, isn't it? Lying? Isn't it acceptable today? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, whether you like Bill Clinton or not, that's really not the issue. But I remember back in the, when he won the second election, I was watching CBS, okay? And they announced that, the, that President Clinton had won a second term. And then I thought, okay, he won a second term. But then they did a survey, and they did an exit poll that found that 75% of Americans, 75% of Americans 
And he won. He won. You understand? Bill Clinton won. But 75% of Americans said Bill Clinton was a liar. He was a liar. And here's what else they said. But it won't affect his job. Okay, fine. But here's Now, that's not a reflection of Bill Clinton. Stop. That's not a reflection of Bill Clinton. You understand? The sadness of that poll is not a reflection of Bill Clinton. The sadness of that poll is a reflection of the people who answered it. Now, do you understand? That was in 1992. No, wait a minute. That would be 96, I think. Yeah, 96. That was 1996. That's almost 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, lying has become very much a part of our culture. It's okay to lie to your boss. It's okay to lie on your taxes. It's okay to, you know, and so what he's saying here, look at what he's saying here. He's talking about how their lips practice deceit. Let's go on this. The poison of asp is under their lips. What is that talking about? Their, their words are poisonous to people. Here's the other thing. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Okay, so what's, what's he talking about here? Well, because humanity's speech is filled with death and deceit. And now, I don't need to convince you of that one, right? You all recognize that one, right? Okay? We all recognize that one. Here's the other thing he says about humanity. They're violent. Humanity is quick to use violence against others as living in peace is unknown to them. Boy, we know that, right? I think there was some study that showed that all of humanity's history, there may have been only a period of a hundred years where there was no fighting. But it all wasn't consecutive. For the most part, humanity is always fighting, right? Have you noticed that in the news? It's like, who's fighting this week? What civil war is going on this week? Okay? So, humanity. Here's the other thing. Verse 18. I think this speaks for itself. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Bottom line. Humanity as a whole has no fear of the living God since they refuse to acknowledge Him. All right, so let's stop for a moment. Think about that. If you have a culture, if you have people who have no understanding of the true God, do not care to have understanding of the true God, are they going to be afraid of Him? No. There's no fear of God. If you don't believe God exists, if you don't believe that He's anything real to your life, why would we even worry about the reality of that there being no fear of God. So that's what we see as the dilemma of the humanity. So now we come to verses 19 to 20, and we're going to talk about a consciousness of sin. 19 and 20. Look with me together. Look at what he says. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, the deeds of the law, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard anybody say, I keep the Ten Commandments? Ever heard everybody say that? I keep the Ten Commandments? You ever heard, I follow God, I keep the Ten Commandments. You ever heard anybody say that? A few of you have, okay. Yeah, you haven't heard it in a while, but you used to hear people say that, okay? 
Here's the one thing you could have done with them and say, oh, wow, can you tell me what they are? Okay. Yeah, and you know, here's what they, and then they tell you some, and none of what they're saying is in the Ten Commandments, you know. Thou shalt not overeat, you know, you know, whatever, okay? Here's what I want you to see. Paul points out that the commands of the law are for those who are, who are under its authority. The commands of the law are for those who are under its authority. Now, who's under the authority of the law? He's talking about the Old Testament law. Jews. Stop for a moment. So you hear people and they say, I follow the Ten Commandments. They don't need to follow the Ten Commandments. That's not the point. Okay? Here's the other thing. The purpose of the law is so that everyone's excuses or self-defense is silenced. Here's the reality. The purpose of the law is so that you and I have no excuse or that we have no defense. Because the reality, can anybody keep the law perfectly? Really, can anybody keep the law perfectly? How many of you drive the speed limit perfectly? Everybody's in front of me, that's who. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, Brad? He got that right. He got that right, okay, all right. <laughs> did you see what I'm saying? Nobody... Nobody can keep the law perfectly. So the law takes away any excuse or any self-defense. Period. We're all doomed, aren't we? We're all doomed, right? Here's what else. The law shows that the whole world is guilty before the Lord. The law shows that the whole world is guilty before the Lord. Here's the, You know when people say they live by the Ten Commandments, you can know immediately that they're speaking out of their ignorance. Because what the Ten Commandments point out is, is your failure. Because nobody can keep the Ten Commandments. Remember? The rich young ruler who came to Jesus said, Jesus, what must I do for eternal life? And he said, well, what does the law say, Jesus said? Well, it says, and I've kept it since I was a young person. And Jesus, wanting to point out how wrong he was, said, well, go ahead and sell everything you have and follow me. And the guy left sad because he had what? A lot of stuff. He was breaking the commandments. What? Covetousness. You understand what I'm saying? The, the law points out how wrong we are. Okay. So therefore, no one will be justified or gain a right standing before God by keeping the law. Bottom, bottom line, folks. No one will be justified or gain a right standing for God before God by keeping the law. Bottom line, you need to understand that. Here's how it's applicable to you and I today. Some of you were thinking, well, you know, the way I can be in a good relationship with God is making sure I keep reading my Bible. Make sure I have my... Because we create our own laws, don't we? Make sure I show up at church. Make sure I put money in the offering. Make sure I, 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 I have my prayer time, because if I don't do that, I feel guilty, right? I must not be right with God. Folks, you cannot gain your right standing by doing anything. Do you understand me? How do you gain your right standing? Surely you've heard me tell you this enough. Who gives you your right standing? Jesus. Is it anything you do? It's what Jesus, what you have done. 
what he has done for you, excuse me, what Christ has done for you, okay? So then finally, it is through the law that we have a knowledge or an awareness of our sin. It's through the law that we have a knowledge or an awareness of our sin. So next week, we're going to talk about how we're justified. Well, if it isn't, if I'm condemned and, and it's not keeping the law, how, how do I gain a standing before God, George? It's by your faith. We're going to talk about justified by our faith, starting next week.